Good morning. Excited to be in church this morning. What a powerful moment of worship we had together and just exciting to be here as we move into this next segment of our service as well. If you're new here or visiting with The Avenue, welcome to The Avenue. So glad you're with us this morning. My name is Dave DeFrancesca. That's my wife. That's my oldest son sitting over here to my right and your left. And we have the amazing privilege of pastoring this church. And we just love what God is doing here. We love the opportunity because next weekend, as you can see here, we are in a rented leased space. And so they just had basically said, hey, we need to do a massive annual festival here last year, uh, this, this weekend coming up, April 30th. So we said, that's no problem because we are the church. And so just because we're not gathering here on the weekend, we'll still go out and serve. Well, then Love Has No Limits had planned their event this weekend. And on the video, it said over 100 churches would be serving this weekend. I think that number is over 200 churches around Houston are gathering this next weekend to serve the city together. We're honored to be a part of that as well. So make sure you take note in the back at the Next Steps table, sign up. Uh, get your name on that list, and then you'll be shot an email with a link. And in that link, then you will go through all the steps of making sure your family is signed up. We will be serving here in Splendora at the uh, Dream Center from 10 to, th 10 to 1 for three hours next Saturday, um, just helping them and uh, serving through what they already have established there at the Dream Center here in Splendora. Honored to be a part of that next Sunday, no service, but then we'll be going to the worship service either Saturday night or Sunday night, your choice, at the Toyota Center together to worship, and you will get your ticket to that by uh, signing up to serve. If you can't sign up to serve because Saturday is not good for you, you can still buy a ticket to the service uh, online as well through that link. Uh, make sure you sign up in the back. You get all the information there. I think the ticket's like 15 bucks, no big deal. Uh, great artist will be there and you'll enjoy those times together. Just because we're not here. See, we're not having service, but I like the root word, we're still serving. Come on, you got to get the vision of that. Just because we're not gathering together as a community to worship, we're still gathering together as a community to worship. It may look different. It may function different, and that's okay because we're pliable. We're, okay, God, that's cool. We'll do that too. And so make sure you lean into this outreach and this opportunity we have to extend ourselves into the region, into Splendor right there, and be a part of something much bigger than us as we partner with many churches to impact our city next weekend. So we will not have in-person services next Sunday. We'll see you back here, two services, May the 7th, as we gather again. We have been a series called Death, Where Is Your Sting? And we began this series, a collection of talks, the very first week of April. And as we began this talk, we started out talking about the fact that when Jesus died and was resurrected, see, the resurrection is such an important part. He had to die, he had to be buried, but he also had to be resurrected. It wasn't one of those pieces. If any one of those three things was missing, the prophecy wouldn't have been fulfilled and so much else couldn't have happened. The fact that you and I can hope for a resurrection of our dead ones, dead loved ones, and then also of ourselves possibly one day helps us understand that's why it was so vital that he resurrected. Because of his resurrected resurrection, we can believe for our own resurrection by his power. But we can also believe for many other things as well. The Bible says that death is the final enemy that was to be defeated. So what we have done is we've looked past, we've looked into the past, we've looked at what Jesus has done. We've celebrated him on Easter Sunday. And then last weekend we took a moment and walked through a resurrection story. And if you don't believe in miracles, you should have been here last weekend because we had one. 
We covered 45 verses in 30 minutes. If you don't believe in miracles, this preacher pulled one off last weekend. I actually thought about dividing it into like part one and two on two services. I was like, I don't know how it's going to happen, but it did. This weekend, you're going to see an even greater miracle. Because as we, as we look ahead into the future, we're going to look into the book of Revelation. We're going to look as to why the resurrection is vital to you and I. And this, intro, this category, this thought, eschatology, the study of the end times, is always intriguing. Not just to you and I, but to the world. Look at what Hollywood does making movies as far back as I can remember about the end of time. About what happens when we die. About what it looks like one day when the earth, when a meteor is coming towards this planet and going to end all of civilization. There's always been an intrigue inside of humans. Ecclesiastes says God has placed eternity inside the heart of men. That means there's something that's longing because we were never created to only live and die. We weren't created to live and die, but to live forever. When God made Adam, he created him in a way and breathed into him the breath of life that he would never die. But when sin entered into the world, the curse came upon us, and then death entered the scene as well. And that's why the resurrection and death is the final enemy that must be defeated. So when we receive that new body, that body will be much like Adam's original body that was created that won't ever die. Incorruptible. That deserves somebody being like, yes, that body won't get calories. That body won't bald. That body won't fail me. That body won't decay. That body is designed to live forever. And it's because of the power of the resurrection that it makes it possible. Well, I hope you get excited this morning. I hope this fires you up this morning. I hope this puts a little bit of something inside of you that says, I want to learn more about this. And I thank God for the resurrection today more than I ever had before. I hope it gives you another perspective to celebrate his victory that can become your victory too and is for every believer. We're going to start out in John chapter 5, some of these words that Jesus said, kind of on the beginning of his scene. Early on in his ministry, Jesus said this in John chapter 5, a couple verses. He said, do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. He's speaking of himself. And come out. Come out of where? Come out of their graves. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those what is, that have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Now many people look at Revelation, the story of Revelation, which actually means the root of the word is just the apocalypse. Many people look at this at the end of the world and they feel fear. They're afraid. They're scared. They don't want to study it because they don't understand it and because it can be overwhelming and because they don't want to go there, they don't think about it. And yet, let me tell you, as a believer and for those that are Christians, for those that have been redeemed and saved, it is the greatest story you could read. 
It should encourage you. It should lift you up. It should bring you joy because today on a day when you're having difficulty, today on a day when your body is failing you, today on a day when life doesn't make sense, you go, but in the end, I'm going to live forever and live in victory. I'm trying to get you fired up. I shouldn't have to coach you into amens this morning. It should just come naturally because you should just get there and arrive at a place of, man, that day is a real day that is coming. This is not fairy tale. This is not made up. This will actually happen. This is not Hollywood putting a spin on it, and I get to go watch it on a big screen. This is not grandma telling me a bedtime story. This is the Bible. This is the only book that can predict the end of the world with perfect accuracy. We're going to dive into it. First Thessalonians says this. I want to read this scripture, and then I'm going to tie it all together and make sense. And we're going to walk through some uh, writings that Paul has in the resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. But first turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians. That's a tough word right there. It's on the screen. Here we go. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Now, I want you to notice, as we read our verse, that Jesus said, don't be amazed at this. He's very, the the Bible very much wants you to be informed and knowledgeable about the end times. It says, we do not want you to be uninformed about this who sleep in death, that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. When you go to a funeral, when you bury a loved one, you should not grieve as the world does. It shall hurt. It will be painful. We read last week that Jesus wept with emotion at the thought of watching his friends mourn their loved one. And Jesus wept a second time at his emotion for losing Lazarus. The Bible does not say we cannot grieve over losing people to death. But the Bible says we don't grieve as the world who has no hope. Because as believers, we grieve knowing right now we have a loss in our lives and we're separated, but we rejoice because we know we shall live together again fully alive. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive... Who, have, who, are not, who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. means dead. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, therefore, do not be discouraged. Do not be depressed. Do not avoid reading these words. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for what you're doing. God, we thank you that we have the power and the victory because of your resurrection, Jesus. Make it real to us like we've never seen it before. Draw people close to you this morning, God. Let people make a decision today that finalizes what they've been searching for for a long time and trust and follow you as the Lord. God, I pray that you open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to hear, to see, and to understand you like we never have before. In Jesus' name, everybody said, I will drink to that. 
I want to start out by talking about this because the world would try to give us this notion. And a long time ago, it began. It's not new. We just phrase it differently. We have different phrases for different sayings. But really, at the heart of it, it's the same thing. Now, in some ways, they're meaningless and they're innocent. But also, at the same time, they're a valid excuse for you and I making a decision that we don't want to have to endure the consequences for. We don't have to think about tomorrow because of it. And so these, are, these sayings have come along, and these ideas and these concepts have, have been out there, and they, they, they've come up, and we've used them many times. Like, you've heard them before, and, and the, the thought of, like, it is what it is. Like, I hate that one. Like, it really drives me crazy. Another one, like, like, like just this, this idea of, of um, uh, I'm going to, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Carpe diem. Like, like, I'm going to live for today. I'm not going to think about tomorrow or concern myself with that. I'm just going to live in today only. Here's one that the, when I was uh, about 10 years ago, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, they started saying it. And YOLO. YOLO. You only live once. So many stupid decisions were made and choices were decided because somebody said something they wanted to do and then followed it up with a YOLO. Some of y'all don't know what YOLO means. It just means you only live once. So you may as well go for it now. And it's a lie and deceit of the enemy to make you want to just live for the moment and not think about tomorrow. But everything in the Word of God encourages us to make decisions today that affect our tomorrow, understanding the consequences and choices that they hold to. So I don't so, so when I'm in the situation, when I'm, when I'm in the moment right now, I can't look at something and go, you know what, YOLO. Like I, I understand that like there's a, a moment where you might make a purchase and go, you know what, I'm just really Im- impulsive right now. And I, I want to buy these shoes because it's, it's what, I, what I want. And you know, YOLO, and that can be somewhat harmful. It may be not the best financial practice, but too many people have taken that same heart and followed it up with a crazy relationship. Wild weekend. Uh, I'm going I'm to live my life this way. I'm, I'm going to discard every bit of financial wisdom. I'm, I'm going to avoid church and God and live in my life with purpose and intentionality altogether. I'm going to go for it in my teen years because you only live once. I'm going to go for it in my 20s because... I mean, when I get older and get a family, I'll take them to church and serve God then. But you only live once in your 20s, so I may as well have fun, sleep around, enjoy life, get drunk. I may as well just go for it while I can. YOLO! I may as well just live this way now while I can. I mean, I'm in my 30s. We may as well travel as a family and have vacation and do everything we can and we'll figure out life and God later, but my kids are young and I want to enjoy them right now. So YOLO! And you'll YOLO your way all the way through life. Not thinking about tomorrow, the next day. And the Bible is very clear that you should consider tomorrow today. Entire the world anti the desires that come, anti everything inside of us that says, it's like that, that statement gives you permission to choose whatever it is you want, and all judgments are off. 
It's an excuse. It's life is short. I may as well have fun now. But the Bible repeatedly teaches us there is an eternal destination for each one of us. That this life right here is only the preparation stage for the life to come. But because we haven't seen it, we don't know it that well. And it doesn't matter if you believe in it or not. It's coming. And it doesn't matter how well you prepare for it or not. It's coming. And we might get 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years on this earth. But what is that in comparison to eternity? This is only the preparation stage for the life that is to come. And the life that is to come is not just some airy world where we hang out on clouds and look around. That's boring. The life that is to come is what God created. If our bodies are going to go back as he made them, then I believe the new earth, and we'll dive into this, will look much like the Garden of Eden restored that Adam and Eve were created to enjoy. Running around, having fun, living among the animals, eating whatever they wanted to, enjoying life, fellowshipping with one another, worshiping God, enjoying his creation reigning and ruling on the earth, all because of decisions made today in this lifetime. But the truth is this, you really live twice. The world tells you you live once and die, and that's it. So you may as well live it up. But the Bible teaches us you live twice. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. And after the judgment, then we see the works that we have and what does the next life look like. There is a real heaven. There is a real hell. And this story shouldn't scare anybody. This story shouldn't discourage anybody. This story should encourage you to go, today I can make decisions and choices. Today I celebrate the decisions and choices I've been making to say I am waiting and anticipating the day. Even so, come quick, Jesus. Come and get us and take us home to that place. Because we live twice. The resurrection of the dead is a doctrine that teaches us that our physical body in which we now exist will die, but it will be resurrected and joined again with my spirit and to be preserved forever in the new heaven for the believer or the lake of fire for the unbeliever. So what is it? I got a couple, a couple questions and thoughts as we process through this. One of them is simply this. What is the state of those who have already died since they do not have their bodies. So if somebody dies, death, is, death has a pretty good winning percentage. Enoch and Elijah. You know, we read that story last week of Lazarus, resurrected, come back to life. You know he went on to die again. And outside of those, death has been victorious in taking out humans. And we stand the same fate unless we are in that day we read about in Thessalonians when Jesus returns and we are all pulled off of the scene of the earth. So as we're in this place, we understand that from here we die. And as we do, we go to one of two places. Because Jesus looked at the man on the cross and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's present tense term. There is a place 
that you go through as a believer when you die that you're forever with God. Now, it's not the place will be forever, forever, but it's the place you'll be now until the new heaven is created and the new earth, and that is ushered in. We'll get there. But as an unbeliever, you die, and you immediately go to begin to pay for your sins because you chose to pay for them and not allow Jesus to pay for them for you. And you go to Hades, a place we call hell. And that is a holding place because there will be a resurrection of the dead, of those that believe, and a resurrection of the dead of those that don't believe. This is the power of his resurrection that causes all this to become possible. 1 Corinthians 15, if you're looking for some really good reading, if you're really looking for some reading this week, 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter. Paul dives into this at great length. We're going to read part of it this morning and pick up in 35, but I encourage you to dive into it. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body will they come with? Which is a great question. Like, that's something that I would ask. And he says, he says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives it its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds have another flesh, and fish have another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. And the splendor of the heavenly body is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly body is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And the star differs from star in splendor. No star is alike, no fingerprint is alike, no snowflake is alike. He created the stars each to its own with its own skin. And he uses this analogy here to help us understand that just because you take a seed of wheat and plant it in the ground, the seed must die, germinate, and when it comes to life, it looks different. It looks on the outside, it fades away, but what's on the inside comes to life. So he's saying, when we die, when we die and we're put in the ground, that what is on the inside will come to life, but it will be because of what was on the outside. So he gives us some clues as to what our resurrected body would look like. Some people say, well, the Bible doesn't talk about what we're going to look like in heaven. Oh, but it does. Oh, but it does. It gives us some really good idea of what that resurrected body would appear like. Verse 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown, it's perishable. I'll give you four points here, what it might look like. But, the, but it is raised imperishable. The body that is sown, the body that is put into the ground, is put in the ground perishable, but it is raised imperishable. What does that mean? This is where the no mores come in. No more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more depression, no more anxiety, no more sleepless nights, no more surgeries, no more, ang no more anything. No more because that body is imperishable. No more sudden loss, no more tragic death, no more death at all. 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. That body is glorious. It has an appearance to it. It has a presence to it. If you want to know the best hint we have, description we have, as to what that body will look like that will live in forever, this is just like a warm-up. 
Like, like this is just practice, if you will, this, this here. I mean, it's good. It, it got me this far. It got me married. There's not a lot of humor in this message. I'm trying, y'all. Come on. I mean, this is not that glorious. I got a lot to look forward to. I was a real pretty baby. I peaked. <laughs> that body will be so glorious, and it will be much like the resurrected Jesus' body, post-resurrection. They saw him. They recognized him. They ate with him. They talked with him. They touched him. They hugged him. So it'll be much like this body, except imperishable, glorious. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It'll be powerful. I don't even have to go to the gym. You can if you want, but we're all, we might have, all have equal strength. It's going to be a powerful body. It'll be able to withstand everything. It's not going to be some airy substance. It won't be an angelic body. No, no, our body will be solid, substantial. It'll be something that was designed. I got a feeling like I bet you when we see what our real bodies look like, we're going to be so impressed. I bet you if God gave us a glimpse of Adam's body when he first made Adam and like Adam and Eve, and they, we got to look at Adam and Eve at creation before the fall, I bet we'd all be willing to leave our spouse right now. I got just... Man, I bet there were some good-looking people. It's going to be powerful. Number 44, verse 44, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. It's imperishable. It's glorious. It's powerful. And it's godly. Now, I know it says spiritual, but the word there comes from this root word, godlike, godly. So this body will be godlike, not like unto God, like the enemy wanted to be godlike, but it'll be like God, as in it will reflect God. The scripture context, again, is Jesus, and it will, it'll be much like his body that God designed for us. It'll be formed and fashioned by God, a spiritual body, godlike. Verse 50, so I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit the perishable. What does that mean? It means you can't go there without death. The perishable cannot inherit it. And he goes into, and we could have skipped these verses for the sake of time, but I wanted to reinforce what we read in Thessalonians. He goes into writing about that again. He said, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep but we will all be changed. He said, not everybody will die because there's coming a moment that the church calls the rapture. Now, the word in, the word in Greek is simply harpazo, but it just simply means to be quickly snatched. It's going to happen so fast and so quick in the twinkling of an eye that people are going, that Jesus will come back, and when he does, it's going to be like if you held... Uh, the best way I can explain it is 
if you had something on the ground and there were pieces of metal that were in all the dust and all the, the junk and you held a magnet here and the closer the magnet got to it, the more the metal would just pull out and everything would be left behind. So they asked Jesus in, I can't remember the exact context of, I mean, the, the verse and chapter. But they said to Jesus, we should do something about all this that's going on because these people are hurting what you're saying. And he said, no, no, no. If you try to pull out the wheat among the weeds, you'll damage the wheat. He said, so let the wheat and the weeds grow together and the day of harvest comes, the weeds will fade away, and I'll pull the harvest of the grain, the grain heads of the wheat then. This is what he was referring to. That right now, weeds and wheat are growing together. Sinners and saints are walking on the earth together. Believers and unbelievers are walking on the earth together. But there will come a time when he steps out, and when he does, he'll pull all the saints off the earth, and the Holy Spirit will retract from the earth as well, and will head back into the present heaven that God is in now, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised. And this is what's crazy. And this is why I tell, like, we built a church. I know it's not cool to have cemeteries at your church, but I spend a lot of time at the church. You do too. I don't mind being near a cemetery when that thing called the rapture happens. Because the Bible says you'll see the graves opened and then we go. The ones that are alive will not precede those that are dead. So those that are dead, believers, will be gathered and raised off the earth to meet Jesus in the air, and then we who are alive will meet them there as well. And you say, well, how can that happen? Because somebody could be dead in the ground for thousands of years. Somebody could have lost their body to the fire. Somebody could be in the ocean. Decay has already hit. But that's the power of God's spoken word. That's the power of the way he created us with DNA, that he could call forth every particle of your body back into existence and bring it and resurrect it off of this earth. He knows where every piece of every person is on this earth that has died. Hard to believe, hard to wrap your mind around, but he is God. And when he pulls the resurrected of the dead, it, those who believe in Christ off the ground, out of the dead, then we who remain will be meet him in the clouds as well. We'll go back there. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying is written, will come true. Oh, look, here's our whole series right here. Isn't that funny? That's just ironic we just arrived here. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? It's almost as if Paul is talking trash. You know, like, it, it's like as if he's taunting, hey, hey, I know you used to run the, the show. I know you used to be the one. I know everybody used to lose to you, death, but now where's your sting? Hey, death, where's your victory now? Jesus is our victory, so we don't die once anymore. We die, but then we live. And death has been conquered and won't hold us in the ground. And you ask yourself, well, then why does he say it twice? Why does he say, death, 
Where is your sting? Grave, where is your sting? Where is your victory? And I believe it's because of those two scenarios. One is simply for those that have died already. And the second is for us who won't taste death. Now, when I say us, it's hopeful that he'll come back while we're still alive. But I think everybody's believed for that. And if you're not here, if we're not here when he does, we will taste death. There will be a generation that won't taste death that will be caught up in the rapture. And I think both times are repeated, one for those that died and one for those that don't. Because some people won't know the sting of death. One will overcome and have victory over death, and one won't taste the sting of death. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So let me give you real quick a sequence of events. This is good news. And I believe right now we're living in the church age. So if you open up the book of Revelation and read through all 22 chapters, chapter 1 focuses on everything that's already been done setting Jesus up as to who he is. Chapters 2 and 3 speak to the church age. If you open up the book of Revelation, I believe we're living in chapter 2 and 3 right now. He writes to the seven churches. Chapter 4 opens up, and I believe this is where the rapture would occur after chapter 4 verse 1, somewhere in there. Now, it's not exact, it's not in there, but when it does, because then it moves into the tribulation period. Now, some people believe the rapture happens before. Some people believe that the rapture happens in the middle of the tribulation. Some people believe the rapture happens at the end. We don't know for sure. The book of Revelation has a lot of facts and a lot of opinions. But the Bible tells us it's clouded in mystery on purpose that we would trust and have faith and study it and believe. We don't even know the day when Jesus will come, but we believe for that day. church age happens, the rapture happens, the tribulation happens, it's seven years long this is when the antichrist will jump onto the scene, he'll offer a seven, three, seven years of peace, I'm sorry, seven years tribulation period, three and a half years of peace for Israel and Palestine, in the middle of that he'll break the contract everybody will be attacking Israel, at the end of that seven years will be the return of Christ, the second coming See, what the rapture is not the second coming. The rapture is just when he comes just to pull us off the earth. Now he comes back to receive the earth. We're going somewhere. It's a sequence of events. This is the second coming of Jesus. When he comes back, when he does, he sets up his kingdom, reigns and rules a thousand years. The devil is let out after that. It's a long story. It's kind of, it's in there. You can read about it. He gathers the nations of the earth. They come and they attack Israel one more time. And the last time, Jesus then captures the false prophet and the beast. They're cast immediately alive into the lake of fire. And then from there, he takes the enemy, the devil, Satan, and he casts him in the lake of fire. And after that happens, then happens this other event, the resurrection of the dead. See, those that were alive in Christ, that died in Christ, resurrection at the rapture. But those that are not, those unbelievers that were not in Christ at death have not yet been resurrected. 
because we all live twice believers and unbelievers so the unbeliever will resurrect to a judgment called the great white throne judgment and they'll stand before God and basically it'll come down to one question they got these books there's a book and there's books you can read about it they're gonna open up the books and if your name is not in the book of life the lamb the lamb of God Jesus the lamb's book of life that you let Jesus pay for your sins didn't want to do it for yourself then you are able to enter into eternity with God but if you chose on this earth to pay for your stuff yourself you didn't live for God you didn't want Jesus salvation and you chose for yourself hell the lake of fire was not created for man it was created for the devil created for the demons it was created for those but for people that choose to not accept Jesus offer of salvation that is where you will go they will go to pay for that themselves the sad story that's not that joyful but it's very real and we don't have to choose that See, we all live twice. There will be another resurrection. When he says to them, you want to pay for that yourself? There you go. But there will be a, another resurrection. Because there will have been people that died during that millennial period. Then they are resurrected. Then there's another judgment where we all stand, all those that will enter into heaven. This is not a judgment of whether or not you accepted Jesus or not. This is a judgment of how did you live your life on earth as Jesus, as your Savior. It's a great story. And he'll say, what did you do with the gifts, the time, the resources, the money, the, the abilities, the talents that I gave you? What did you do with them? partner with my church, God. I set up chairs for people to sit in. I poured coffee for people to drink. I went to serve day and handed things out for people and I didn't know them but I did it in your name. And I shared your love with a complete stranger and I maybe paid for somebody's groceries or helped them carry them. And I just smiled at people. I didn't get angry at them anymore and I didn't hold grudges and That is going to be the time when the books are open. God will have a one-on-one -on -one with every believer and say, what did you do on earth with everything I entrusted to you? And based on that, that's not a matter of whether or not you get into heaven. That's a matter of what it looks like living in heaven. Because the Bible clearly teaches us we will reign and rule in heaven based on what we do with what we're responsible for here. This is why the resurrection is so important. There's so much more to it than we realize. Easter points to eternity. It makes it possible. It opens the door. It creates a pathway. So now when I die, I have hope, not like the world, to grieve. 
Because you and I, each one of us, have put people in the ground and left the funeral sad and frustrated, maybe angry, disappointed. But I believe hopeful. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, sure and steadfast, that God will come back for us and for them. And so shall we always be forever with the Lord. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Sad today, there's coming a day of joy. In pain today, there's coming a pain-free day. Frustrated today, there's coming a frustration-free day. A day that doesn't end. A day that the sun is no longer needed and the light of Jesus himself shines so bright there will be no need for the moon. It will be no nighttime. It'll be day forever. It is the age of eternity. We will have those resurrected bodies and we'll live forever with Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? I tried to cover as much as I could, make it as plain and clear as I could in a short window of time. I'd encourage you. There's some really good readings on your Bible app. There are great books. There's great people you can follow. There's great people who study this in detail and depth. Probably in some of you, there's an appetite stirred to find out more about the end times. But hear me. Inside all of us, God has set eternity in your heart. You're watching online. You're in this room. Watching on your phone. Put eternity in here that we think about forever. We think about that next age. We consider it. So I have a couple challenges for you this morning. To not live this life as if the next one doesn't matter. This is dress rehearsal for that one. This one determines that one. So live this one like it matters forever. Choices and decisions made today determine outcomes tomorrow. Destiny, opportunities. Sometimes we don't want to think about it. We pull back. We don't consider it. Well, I don't believe that, Pastor. I appeal to you to start believing something. Because it will happen whether you believe it or not. And I don't need to be cold or callous. I hope this encourages you. I hope it challenges you to realize there's way more to this life than living it to please Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And this is the walk of faith. So the first challenge is simply that. Consider, you'll live twice. What does tomorrow look like based on the life I'm living today? Would you close your eyes for a moment? Just look in your heart. Just look inside and ask yourself, have I made a decision, a clear decision, a real decision, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, but listen to me, belief is not enough because the devil believes in God. 
if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has what? Resurrected Jesus, raised him from the dead. That is what then makes you saved. Belief that Jesus is alive. He is who he says he is. He did what he said he was going to do. And he's coming back like he said he will. That decision determines your tomorrow in the lake of fire or in heaven with God forever. And how you live that out on earth. If you haven't made that choice today yet in your life, or maybe you just, I need to, I need to make sure I know. I need to clear that up without doubt. This morning is a great day to do that. I'm going to pray for you in a moment. As I do, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Step into that by faith. And the second group of people that I want to pray for this morning is those first group I talked about. That first challenge. That you live in that whatever happens, happens. It's going to be okay. I only live once. I'm going to go for all I can here on earth. YOLO. Are you living your life today that tomorrow matters? I think God's stirring it in your hearts this morning. I think God is just stirring in your hearts this morning a desperation and a a decision. God, I need to put more emphasis on my tomorrow and how I live today. Let me pray with you. Father, I thank you so much for your love, your grace, your mercy. I love that you are not willing that any would perish in that lake of fire, but that all would come to know you. I love that you love the world so much that you gave your only son your best gift that whoever would believe in him could have everlasting life. God, I thank you that you love the world so much that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we were far from you, when we didn't know you, when we didn't care about you, when we weren't thinking about you, You were thinking about the world. God, I thank you that you have made a way for us to live forever with you. Imperishable, glorious, powerful, godly, spiritual beings, people with resurrected bodies. You didn't want to be alone without mankind, without us, and we're honored you would choose us. God, I pray that you give us the strength, the ability to make that decision to choose you. Today, to choose you. To trust you with our souls. To choose you. To trust you with our eternity. To choose you to honor you with our time, our money, our duties, our responsibilities, our motives, our hearts, 
God, make an awareness so real inside of us that we long for your coming and that we are storing up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy them, where thieves can't break in and steal. But we're making deposits there for that next life. Today is that day. You want to make that decision? I want to pray with you. You want to know for sure that you have a home in heaven. I'm going to ask the entire church across the room to pray this prayer out loud. Each one. But if you want to enter in by faith, it's simple, but it is so significant, this decision. You can repeat it after me, but believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead, and he forgives you of your sins, and everything changes in your life. Say this, say, Jesus, I thank you for loving me, coming into my life, forgiving me of my sins, and making me new. Wash me clean and forgive me. Make me new. In your name I pray. Amen. There's a scripture that comes to mind real quick. It simply says, If the same Spirit dwells in you that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit that re- the resurrection power dwells in you that raised him from the dead. It's possible. It's possible. And God promises that type of power in our 